When you look at your life, what do you see? Success? A good person? Something very ordinary, perhaps? Or maybe more? Christ's offer, in contrast, is something different, something opposite, yet something entirely better, something extraordinary. And while it's not far off, we won't find it where we typically go looking. No, we won't find it there at all. Well, good to see all of you here this morning. Uh, I want to start with a question. When was the last time you had the thought, I do not have time for this? Uh, maybe you were at Target and you're checking out and it's a busy day and you have places you need to go and the cashier is going so slow. And all you can think about is, why did I not do self-checkout, right? You're just like, I don't have time for this. Uh, or maybe uh, you're like me and you have a tendency to delay doing your yard work and so you kind of get like one Saturday where you can try to get it all done and uh, the neighbor comes across the street and they just want to chat and you have so much to do and you're thinking to yourself, I do not have time for this conversation. Or, or maybe you're just in a busy season of life, work is busy, family obligations are busy, you just have a lot going on and there is a crisis in your personal life or, or maybe in your family. And you're thinking to yourself, I don't have time to deal with this. Where does that thought come from? Yeah, I, I think that thought comes from the sense that we do live very full lives. That there's a lot that we want to accomplish. We live in a society that values people who are busy and productive, and oftentimes it's a marker of how successful you are, how busy you seem. And there are many things that we feel obligated to do. There are many things that we desire to do. And so we want to cram as many of those things into our lives as possible. And the reason is we believe that if we are able to get all of those things done, if we have all of these different experiences, if we're able to achieve and accomplish the things that are on our list, we believe that that is going to lead to an extraordinary life, or at least a life that is a little bit more than just ordinary. And, and so... When things get in our way, things come in our path that distract us from being able to get all those things done or to do all of those things, we often think, I don't have time for this because we want to live an extraordinary life. But what if, what if the things that come into our way that seem at times as if they're a distraction for us, what if those things are actually the door that will lead us to extraordinary living? What if instead of being the distraction, that's actually the way in which we can have an extraordinary life? You know, we are not the first people to think, I'm far too busy for this. The, even the apostles of Jesus, those early church leaders, they too thought, I am too busy for this. And there's a story in scripture where we hear about that. So if you have a Bible, I want you to open it up to Acts chapter 6, and we're going to tell you that story. So Acts chapter 6, as you're turning there, 
Let me kind of set the stage for us about where we are at in the course of human history. Jesus has been risen from the grave. And he spent 40 days with his followers, preparing them and getting them ready for this new reality about how they are to live their life now that he has proven that he has risen from the the, the grave and they have new life in him. And then Jesus ascends to go be with his father. And he gives the gift that he had promised of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost and it begins to change and to transform not only those apostles, but that this movement of people who are now following Jesus just kind of explodes in history and people are being added to the church and being added to faith uh, every single day. We pick up the story now in Acts chapter six. It says, in those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. All right, so just some quick backstory on what's happening here. Uh, There were a few different groups of Jewish people in this day, one of whom were referred to as the Hellenistic Jews. That just meant that they had adopted the Greek lifestyle and the Greek language. But for those Jews who didn't, they had some animosity against those who did. They thought that by adopting the Greek lifestyle and adopting the Greek culture, it, it, was, it, was gonna, it was gonna make them less Jewish. They were concerned about that, so a faction started to grow. There was some animosity between those groups. Well, some of those people from both groups find Jesus and they come to faith in Christ, but they bring some of that prejudice and some of that grudge into the church with them. And so the church is now dealing with something that is, is starting to threaten its own unity. And, and we read this today and we think, well, you know, taking care of widows, like what's, what's the big deal here? They, they should just be able to sort this thing out. But in, in this day and age, there was no social service. And if you were a widow and your family was either not able to take care of you or chose not to take care of you, you had no hope. If you couldn't provide for yourself and someone else wouldn't provide for you, it was a death sentence in this culture. And so for the church to step in and take care of widows who didn't have anyone else to take care of them, they were literally saving lives. This is an issue of life and death for these widows. It's a big deal. And it's so significant and the the rift is so deep within the church that this issue now comes to the apostles to deal with. This is a leadership So here's what happens in verse 2. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So disciples see this problem and they go, here's the deal, we don't have time for this. We don't have time to deal with these widows. Like we have important things that God has called us to do. We are the apostles. God has given to us an extraordinary calling and and we need to be focused on the ministry of the word and on prayer and we just do not have the time to deal with these widows and so we're going to delegate this responsibility. And so that's what they do. So they named seven men who were full of spirit and wisdom, and one of those men was named Stephen. He was the one who actually led the group of seven. 
and they hand the responsibility over to them. Those guys take care of this rift with the widows. And then here's what happens. Verse 7 kind of summarizes then the conclusion of this part of the story. It said, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And now I have always read this story, and I've read verse 7 as a proof point that the apostles got this right, that they were, they were correct in, in delegating away their responsibility. And, and I have actually been taught over the years that it was because the apostles displayed such incredible leadership by saying, you know, we have to stay focused on the most important things, so we're gonna take some of these things that are, are less important and we're gonna hand them off to somebody else. It, it was because of that that the word of God spread rapidly. But I have recently been challenged in my own interpretation and reading of this story. I wonder if the reason that the word of God spread rapidly wasn't because the apostles displayed such great leadership, but I wonder if the reason the word of God spread rapidly was because the widows were taken care of and the unity was restored within the church. And the reason I've wondered that is because here's what happens next in the book of Acts. Luke, who's the author, he starts to focus all of his attention not on the 12 apostles, but on Stephen, this guy that was delegated the responsibility to wait on tables. And what we find out is that Stephen was a man of incredible wisdom. He was a man that was filled with the Holy Spirit. He did some incredible things. And then we see that Stephen had this sense of, of care and compassion for the widows, but we also find out that Stephen is a pretty good preacher. In fact, he is so effective in preaching the gospel that a lot of the religious leaders of the day were concerned about the influence that Stephen had. And so eventually they had Stephen arrested and they had Stephen killed that Stephen had the privilege of being the very first martyr for Jesus. But he was not killed because he took care of widows. He was killed because he was such an effective preacher. And so it just caused me to wonder, well, if Stephen was able to take care of the widows and be such an effective preacher for the gospel, why couldn't the apostles do that? Why was it that Stephen was able to do both, but the apostles said, that's too much for us. We don't have time for this. And I wonder if it has to do with ambition. Last weekend, as Pastor Dale just shared with us, he encouraged us and taught us that we need to have a redemptive ambition. And I see that in Stephen. Stephen's focus was on getting the word of the Lord out to, to the people. He wanted the truth of who Jesus was to be proclaimed, and he wanted people to come to faith in Christ. And he was concerned about taking care of the widows and those who are less fortunate, something that Jesus himself modeled and displayed for us. And Stephen was not concerned about what that meant for him personally, because he preached and he stayed faithful even at great risk to himself, and even when he is losing his life, he prays for those who are persecuting him, just like Jesus. Because Stephen had that redemptive ambition. And I just, I just have to wonder if at this moment in time, if the apostles' ambition 
was maybe a little more self-focused. They wanted to have this extraordinary living. They wanted to focus on the extraordinary calling, and they kind of didn't want to deal with the stuff that they thought, you know, I just don't have time for this. And the other reason I wonder if that's the case is because we don't hear from the apostles for the next few chapters, but when we finally do catch back up with Peter, yet again, he has an opportunity to engage with some widows. And whenever you see something come into Peter's life a second time, it's like God giving Peter an opportunity to try it again. And Peter gets so many do-overs, which is encouraging for me because I need a lot of do-overs in my own life. But when we see that again, I wonder if that's the case. After Stephen was killed for his faith, the church is persecuted. And so the 12 apostles begin to scatter. They leave Jerusalem and they're going out into the countryside, just as Jesus had, had said that they would. And they're there, they're preaching the gospel and, and they're focused on uh, helping people come to faith in Christ. And we pick up with the story of Peter in Acts chapter 9. And he is in the town of Lydda, that's near the Mediterranean coast. And it's not far from another city by the name of Joppa. And something is about to happen in Joppa that brings the widows back into Peter's story. Here it is. It's in Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 36. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. Which, as an aside, I think it's interesting that uh, Luke, when he's writing this document, he gives us both names. This, this document, when, when Luke originally wrote it, it would have been written in Greek which means you just would have gone with her Greek name. But he takes the time to point out that her Aramaic name was Tabitha. And it's, just, it's, it's peculiar that he would give us two names for the same person. I, I was actually telling this story, I was, I was talking to my daughter uh, a couple days ago about what I was gonna preach on this weekend, and I mentioned that I was gonna tell the story of the woman with two names and mentioned that in, in Greek, her name was Dorcas. And, uh, and Sadie said to me, she said, that's unfortunate. And then she literally said to me, she said, I bet middle school was really hard for her. <laughs> anyway, just, just a little aside. So here's, here's what happened. Let's call her Tabitha. Here's what happens with Tabitha. Uh, she was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and she died. And her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa. And so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Now, keep in mind, Peter, just a few chapters before, was like, listen, I don't have time to deal with this conflict with the widows because I have to do the extraordinary things of leading the church. I, I, I can't be bothered with that. But, but we're about to see something has changed in Peter's demeanor. That Peter has a different perspective now. Maybe it was the persecution. Maybe it was the example of Stephen. Maybe the Holy Spirit got a hold of him. But, but Peter now does something different. Here's, here's what happens in verse 39. Peter went with them. And it's amazing to me that Peter went with them because what are you going to do? Tabitha's already dead. But he shows up anyway. And he shows up because the widows need comfort. They need somebody to pastor them through this situation. And he chooses to not focus on his own selfish ambitions, but to serve others. Peter is beginning to look a little bit more like Jesus by showing up. So Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. 
all the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. In verse 40, Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and he prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Listen, when you have the privilege of seeing the dead come back to life, that is extraordinary living. And Peter had the privilege of seeing the dead come to life. But he didn't experience the dead come to life when he was focused on himself and when he said, I'm just too busy to take care of the needs of others. But it was when Peter chose to serve others, when he chose to go and just be present with people in need, that is when he experienced extraordinary living. Peter experienced the extraordinary life when he started to look just like Jesus. And what's so incredible about this story with Tabitha is just how similar Peter looks to Jesus. I want to read for you a story from Mark chapter 5. It's very short, but it is almost identical to what we just read in Acts 9 about Peter. So let me read this story to you, and as you listen to it, I want you to think about how similar it is to the story we just read. Here's the situation. Jesus is out teaching, and there is a, a very important synagogue leader whose daughter is sick, and he asks Jesus to come heal his daughter. And Jesus is on the way, but he gets delayed. He gets interrupted. He gets distracted by people that are in need. And because of his delay, the daughter dies. And so the people, the servants, uh, come to the synagogue leader and they say, your daughter is dead. There's no need to bother Jesus anymore. I'm going to pick up the story at this point. It's in Mark 5, 36. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. So Peter was present and would have witnessed this entire event taking place. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. It kind of sounds like what Peter walked into with the widows in Joppa. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, just like Peter put everyone out of the room, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples, including Peter, who were with him, and went into where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talita kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. Jesus brought the dead to life. Now, when Mark records this story for us, he also would have written this and recorded this in the Greek language. So it's interesting for me that in the middle of this Greek document, he breaks in 
and quotes an Aramaic phrase that Jesus would have spoken to that girl. Why does Mark do that? Well, I believe that Mark's primary source was Peter himself. And so by giving us the exact phrase that Jesus would have spoken in the language that Jesus would have spoken it, Aramaic, it's kind of like giving us this, this, this insight into the eyewitness account of, of what's happening there. So it gives us some credibility that this event took place. But there's more to it. Because in the middle of this Greek document, Mark breaks into Aramaic just like Luke in the middle of his document breaks into Aramaic. Why? It's because of the connection between these phrases. See, Peter would have spoken Aramaic just like Jesus. And so when Peter went to Tabitha and he told her to get up, the phrase in Aramaic he would have used would have sounded like this, Tabitha kum, which is only one letter different than the phrase that Jesus spoke to the girl. Peter looks exactly and sounds exactly like Jesus. But he doesn't look and sound like Jesus when he's focused on himself. He looks and he sounds like Jesus when he is choosing to serve others. God has given us an extraordinary calling just like he gave his apostles. The calling that he has given to us is to see the dead come to life, spiritually speaking. In fact, today, we, we celebrated that. In, in baptism today, there were people that were in the water that were publicly proclaiming that they were once dead, spiritually speaking, but they have come to new life in Jesus Christ. And the people that were in that water all have stories of someone who came into their life who chose to make time for them. Every single person that was in that has a story of somebody that came alongside them and that chose to serve them. Maybe when they were involved in a program here at church. Or someone had a story of a neighbor who was kind to them or a coworker who was patient with them or a friend who chose to share their faith with them or somebody in their life that was patient enough with them to explain the gospel and to help them meet Jesus. Every single person that was in that water today had somebody who did not say, I don't have time for you, but who made time for them. And that's why they were in the water is because somebody helped to come alongside them and be like Jesus to them, to show them Jesus. And they had the privilege of seeing the dead come to life. Folks, we have the same opportunity. We have the opportunity to experience the extraordinary life that comes when we serve others. So for some of us, we have an individual in our life that is like when you think about that person, your first thought is, I do not have time for them. Right? For some of you, maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's uh, a little too close to home for somebody over here, yeah. <laughs> Somebody has a spouse, maybe, maybe it's, it's a parent, maybe it's a grandparent, maybe it's a grandchild, maybe it's your own children. Maybe it's somebody in the office. Maybe it's a neighbor across the street or somebody, it's a relative in your family. But when you think about that person, you think, I do not have time to deal with this person. But let me just tell you this, if you wanna experience the extraordinary life that Jesus has for us, you don't have time not to deal with them. You don't have time not to invest in them. 
Because we experience extraordinary living when we choose to do what Jesus did, and that is when we serve others. We also here at Wooddale Church have an opportunity to be part of what the church is doing. Jesus is still moving today. His spirit is still calling people today. And he invites us as his body to help to support those who are coming to faith and needing to grow in their faith. And we do that through the ministries and the programs here at Wooddale Church. And you, all of us, have an opportunity to be involved and to be engaged in that work. And let me tell you, when you choose to serve in the ministries here at the church, you have the privilege of seeing dead people come back to life. People who are far from God, who understand the promise and the commitment that Jesus has given to us, and it transforms and changes their life because the hope of the gospel becomes resident in their hearts. And when we choose to take time that we don't have to serve others, we get to witness the dead come to life. So what's that mean for us? Well, specifically, today, I want to give you an opportunity to be part of finding a way to serve here at the church. So our team has created an assessment to kind of help guide you through this process. It's called Find Your Purpose. You've heard us talk about this in the past. Uh, but as you leave today, there are going to be people in blue shirts all around the hallways, and they'll have little clipboards, and they have little cards like this. And what we want to do is, is I want you to talk to that person, uh, or I want you to go to, to, uh, to this part of our website where you can complete this assessment and learn how God has uniquely equipped you to be able to serve others. Uh, this is the easy part, signing up and finding out where I can serve. The hard part is the heart work that needs to happen. It's the heart work that Dale talked about last week and that we see modeled in Stephen. It's the ambition to say, I am willing to take time I don't think I have to choose to serve those in need. And just while we're on this topic, and for this service especially, I want to call a little time out and just have a conversation with those of you who are over the age of 70. If you are over the age of 70, we need you. And specifically, we need you in our next-gen programs. Our students and our children right now are, are suffering from a level of anxiety that is unprecedented in our culture. And probably for good reason. Many of our students have the whole world connected in their phone, and they carry in their pocket access to all sorts of information and connections. And the pressure that many of our students face today is they recognize that in one tweet or one post, they have the potential to become viral, to become known by people around the world, to, to be viewed, to become popular, maybe to work their way toward becoming an influencer. Or they're one post away from being canceled and having a permanent record that will follow them the rest of their life saying, no one thinks you are worthy and it would be better if you just weren't even here or canceling you. No hope of forgiveness. Or worse, they put a post out there and nobody likes it or nobody sees it. And then they start to question their value. And what our students today do not need is another lecture about the dangers of social media, what they need is they need adults who have, who have made it seven plus decades in life with their faith intact to come alongside them and say, I see you. 
I care for you, I love you, and I want you to experience the hope of Jesus that I've experienced in my life. And when you have the age and the wisdom and the experience of those many decades, I wanna tell you, you speak in a way that others of us are not able to speak to the next generation. Here at Wooddale Church, God is calling us to raise up a next generation who is going to have a resiliency in their faith. We cannot do it without you. We need you to be involved. In fact, this week I've been praying specifically that some of you from this service would just make a commitment that never at Wooddale Church would we have a situation where we don't have enough volunteers in the nursery because you're so committed to making sure that families with young kids can be present and can be meeting Jesus, that you'll do whatever it takes, even though it might be inconvenient for you, to make sure that we always are staffed so that the next generation can come and experience the hope of Jesus through our services. Again, signing up for those things, that's the easy part. Just go talk to somebody in a blue shirt, it's done. The hard work is what happens in here. We have to come to that point of ambition to say, you know what, I recognize that in order to have extraordinary living, I have to do what Jesus did. I have to be willing to serve others. And when we do, folks, listen, when we do, we get the privilege of seeing the dead come to life. There is nothing that is worth more than that. The baptisms today is why we serve, it's why we give, it's why we pray. Because we celebrate when dead comes to life because that is our story and that's the story that God has called us to give to others. So if you wanna experience the extraordinary living that Jesus has for us, live on mission. Be willing to serve. So Father, we're grateful for the example of Peter and Father, I just, I'm so thankful that you were so patient with him, Father, that you, you let him get things right and wrong and you kept going with him. And Father, that's just a hope and encouragement that you'll do the same for us and for me. Father, we just confess to you, I confess to you, Lord, we, we live busy lives. We are people who are often consumed in our calendars. And Father, it's easy for us to take the opportunities that you bring to us and just push them aside. I don't have time for that. Father, open our eyes and help us recognize that we don't have time not to. Father, I pray that your spirit would stir in our hearts today. And Father, those of us who, who are being moved, who are being compelled to be involved in serving, Father, I pray that we'd go and we'd have the conversation, we, we'd take the assessment. Father, we would, we would find a place where we can get, we can get connected. And Lord, for those in this room that have an individual in their life that they need to show up differently to that relationship, Father, I pray your spirit would meet them there. And Lord, that you would carry them through. Father, we're grateful for all that you are doing in and through this church. Father, I pray now that you would reveal to us what our part will be for the year ahead. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Church, I wanna invite you to stand. Uh, if you are moved to go have a conversation with one of those folks about uh, finding your purpose, I wanna encourage you to do so. You have a few minutes to do that out in our common space. 
And uh, don't miss next weekend as we continue in our series, Extraordinary Living. Pastor Dale will be uh, continuing in that series next weekend. As you go from this place, I wanna share with you the words that Jesus gave to us that we had displayed here. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then Jesus gives us these words, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. See you next weekend.